Hey, let me ask you a question. Uh, how many of you believe that the Lord has kept all his promises? Amen. Hey, listen, very, very important, right? Because he's promised us eternal life. So if he's broken any promises, then we're all in a mess, right? So we thank God that he does keep promises. Amen. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Put it upon our hearts to worship you. Speak clearly to our souls that we might be encouraged by your word. And I pray for this service as this is the newer service that we planted this year. I pray that you would continue, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit to gain momentum here, speaking to our hearts, enabling and encouraging us to be witnesses in our community. And Father, we pray that you would reign supreme and show yourself strong this morning in our time together. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, you brought a Bible, say yes. And I'm going to invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. We've got a Bible study that we're fixing to do, which I'm pretty excited to share with you. It's entitled Reboot. We'll talk about a whole new way of thinking as well as a no, whole new way of living. Luke, chapter 14. And as you're opening that, I'd also want you to know this morning that this week celebrates the one-year anniversary of Celebrate Recovery, which obviously we started a year ago. Michael Mooney was one of the major key players and still is and helping get that ministry up and running. And God has used it in an awesome, awesome fashion. So if you know Michael and you run into him, encourage him. And if you're interested in being a part of that ministry, that encourage you to do that as well. So we're thankful for what God's doing through Celebrate Recovery. Luke chapter 14, you've got it there in front of you. Say yes. Hey, y'all are boring me to death. Y'all got it out there in front of y'all? Say yes. Good night. Let's stand up to our feet and uh, see what the Bible says. Is that all right with y'all? Y'all look horrible. I'm not telling you a story. I'm just trying to, I speak truth. Y'all all right? Y'all look rough, man. What did y'all stay up to late last night? Everybody smile at me. We're here to study the Bible. Good night. The Lord wants to speak to your heart. Come on now. Y'all ready? That was no better. All right, Luke chapter 14, beginning of verse 1. It happened that when Jesus went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him, and he healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when he, one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will have honor in the sight of all of those who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your neighbors or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return. That will be your repayment. 
But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And when one of those who were reclining at the table with Jesus heard him, he said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Let's bow together. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would take absolute precedence right now in this particular room. God, I pray against the enemy or any demonic spirit that would seek to distract us or cause us to take our attention away from why we are here, which is to worship you. And I would pray that the Holy Spirit would reign supreme in every single heart. And God, I pray that you would invade the territory by the power of your grace and you would teach us how to live as disciples. And Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this church body. So grateful for so many people who are serving, who are ministering faithfully the gospel. And I would pray that we never grow weary of giving you praise and honor, for you are worthy of it all, and we rejoice in who you are. So I pray now that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit, that you would place uh, the words in my mouth that you would have me speak this hour. And I would ask Lord Jesus, if there's anything that perhaps I have not thought about saying that you would bring it to mind or anything that I'm thinking to say that you don't really want me to, erase it from my memory. And God, I give you this time and we trust that you'll move in hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. So this morning we talked on reboot, a whole new way of thinking as well as living. You know, most of us in this room actually use a computer system. In fact, uh, let's just do this real quick. We'll do a little uh, show of hands. How many of you this week used a computer? Would you slip your hand up real high? Be for real. All right, very, very good. That's pretty much every single one of us. Well, you know, every single computer is actually operated by an OS. An OS is called an operating system. And the two most popular operating systems, I'm going to see if you can pick them out from their logos. So you're going to talk to me. I'll show you an operating system. If you know what it is, everybody shout it out. What is that right there? Windows, very good. Let's give the second one here. What about this one? Anybody know what it is? It is the Mac. People are clapping for the Mac. Good night. And that's just the same apple that Eve ate out of. But anyway, so uh, excited, excited, right? So what exactly is an operating system? Well, an operating system actually uh, produces as well as manages the software that is on the computer. And just like a computer, you and I have an operating system in our life. One of those operating systems is one that you and I come pre-programmed with. We are born with it. We will call it the old root system, the old operating system. As a matter of fact, this describes what operates a person before they come into a relationship with Jesus. This operating system, it deifies self, it demotes others, and it marginalizes the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then another operating system we will call not the old operating system, but I've you can't guess what it's going to be, can you? It's not the old, but it is the, golly, let us pray. Y'all listening, it's the new, y'all out there say yes, it's the new operating system. And the new operating system actually is given to every single person whenever they come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The new operating system helps us and shows us how we should now think as well as how we should live. But this new operating system does not take precedence in our life until first we experience a reboot in our life. Or I could say it like this, until you are reborn, until you are born again. 
Think about a normal computer. If you were going to take Windows off of it and put Mac on it, whenever you did that, you would have to reboot the system so that it would come back up as a Mac program and operating system. Same thing in our lives. We come pre-programmed with this old operating system, but when the Lord Jesus touches our hearts and reboots us, he gives us a new operating system. Now, in our text of Scripture this morning, it's pretty unique because what we find is that the Pharisees predominantly show us the old operating system. And then we see the Lord Jesus Christ who is representing the new operating system. And what we're going to see this morning is more or less a compare and contrast between these two particular systems. In fact, if you like charts and little graphs, you're going to love this morning's message because we've got one for you. But I want you to know before we dive directly in is that whenever you come to faith in Jesus Christ, although you have a new operating system, there is still this internal battle, this internal war between the old operating system and the new, between the old nature and the new nature, between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul the Apostle writes about this war that goes on inside of us in Galatians chapter 5, in which he says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh, check this out, sets its desire against the spirit. So inside every single believer, we have this old nature, this old root system, this old flesh, which actually sets itself up in war against the new operating system, against the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the Bible says that whenever we submit to the flesh, we do not carry out the desires of the spirit. But when we submit to the Holy Spirit, we do not carry out the desires of the flesh. But this morning, I want you to see that there is indeed a new operating system in your life if you're a disciple of Jesus, but there is always this uh, encouragement, this uh, challenge, this enticement to go back to thinking like you used to think. So the key question this morning is what is the difference between these two operating systems? And you're going to see that if you've got a listening guide with you this morning, it was in your brochure, you can follow right along. But let's look first and we'll just compare and contrast bouncing back and forth, but we'll look first at the old root system. And the old root system, here is what the old root system leads you and I to think, and you can see that up there on the screen. Will they follow my rules? That is a question that always shows itself strong in the life of those who are operated by the old root system. Will they follow my rules? So look at your Bible again, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Scripture says, it happened that when he went into the house of the, one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. You might want to circle that in your Bible. They were watching him closely. And there in front of Jesus was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of the man and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply. 
Now, the Pharisees in this text of Scripture, though highly religious, were far from a genuine relationship with Almighty God. They did not have a personal relationship with Him, which has always shocked me whenever you read the New Testament as well as the Old, but oftentimes you have this group of people who claim to be representatives of God and righteousness, just like these Pharisees, and yet they didn't know God, nor did they know righteousness. They continued to walk around and try to put themselves up as if they were the end-all, be-all to holy living. So make no mistake about it this morning. You can be extremely religious and not have a genuine relationship with the one true and living God. So you can be truly religious and not know the Lord. That was the case with the Pharisees. They had developed a religious ideology completely made up with man-made traditions and rules about everything. And these rules were not made to get them closer to God. These rules were actually made to elevate themselves in front of other people and demote others. So how did they do this? Well, look at the end of verse 1 in the Bible there, chapter 14. I told you to circle it. The Bible says, they were watching him. Now, the term for watching him literally means they were observing him to see if he was going to follow their customs on the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as well as the scribes, had created this laundry list of things that you could and could not do on the Sabbath day. So ultimately, what they were doing was scrutinizing every little move of Jesus, looking for him to somehow break their made-up religious code so they could demote him and elevate themselves. So they could demote him in the presence of others and cause him to lose influence in the life of that temple. So literally, their old operating system, which ran them, was leading them to ask, will Jesus follow my rules? That's interesting, isn't it? When Jesus shows up to a worship service, are we very scared that if the Lord really breaks out and begins to work among us, that he might not follow all of our rules? See, when Jesus shows up and breaks into a service, the Lord begins to work, and we must be very careful to stay out of his way. And how careful we must be as disciples of Jesus Christ not to allow our old nature, the old root operating system, to try and manage our lives. We know there is a problem when we find ourselves intently looking at another person, trying to find them breaking some religious rule that we have made up. And this morning, perhaps some of you came to church, and when you came in, you came in almost like you were wearing uh, microscopic lenses, and you were looking intently at every single person and every single move, trying to figure out whether or not they were breaking your little rule. It's so easy when we fall into this life of legalism. You know, Chuck Swindoll, who's a great pastor, one of my heroes as far as an author is, and a preacher is concerned, but he writes, and I kind of got a long quote here, but it's good, so listen to what he says, quote, he says, we give ourselves a list. We then require that list of other people, and when they don't live up to it, we criticize them. That's legalism, and it blinds us to a circle of us four and no more. It makes us short-sighted. And listen to what he says. This is wild. He says, I have never seen a legalist with a real vision for the whole world. Legalists tend to live in the tight radius of their own rules and regulations. And then notice what he says. This is wild. 
He says, I will spend the rest of my ministry standing against legalism. He says, I don't know of anything that ruins a church fellowship quicker and more severely than legalism. So if you find yourself in the context of life, looking at other people, putting them down, trying to see whether or not they have fit into this paradigm or into this grid which you yourself have made up, you are a legalist, and that is not honoring of the Lord. But let's look at the contrast. We see on one hand, will they follow my rules? But the new root operating system asks this question. God's mercy has so changed me that I have to show mercy to others. Or that there's the statement that the new root system says. God's mercy has so changed me that I have to show mercy to other people. You know, Jesus' attitude was one of great compassion. We see that in his relationship to the man who had dropsy. Dropsy, uh, discovered, is a condition of excess fluid in the tissues of the body. It's caused, perhaps, by a type of cancer or possibly liver or kidney problems. But bottom line is that there was a person in this Pharisee's home who was sick, or in this temple who was sick. And Jesus asked them about their man-made rules in verse 3. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And apparently no one was able to answer the question, so Jesus just reached out and healed the man. And then in verse 5, Jesus asked, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? See, this question, it underscored the fact that their religious rules blinded them from being compassionate toward other people. It's interesting when you think about this time in the house of this Pharisee. Here they are in this particular scenario, and whenever they come in, there is a man sitting right in the middle of all of their uh, little social and he is in great need of mercy and compassion. But those who are, listen, the quote, religious leaders totally miss it because they are so busy trying to scrutinize the person of Jesus Christ to see if he fits their rules. Now, as I think about that and think about our worship service today, if you came to church this morning with those microscopic lenses trying to look out for everybody to see what they're wearing or what they're saying or how they're acting or what they're doing or if they're lifting their hands or if they're not lifting their hands, if they're closing their eyes, if they're not closing their eyes, if they're clapping or not clapping, if we're doing this, then we are blinding our eyes to the fact that there are people, listen, inside this room this morning who need mercy and compassion. There are are y'all listening? Say yes. There are people here today who need mercy, who need compassion. Now, for those who know Jesus personally, we understand the compassionate mercy of God. If we were to get what we deserve from God, it will be everlasting judgment and hell. Uh, But because of God's great mercy that is in Jesus Christ, Jesus bore the wrath of God in his body for us so that by faith in him, we might be completely forgiven of our sin and given a brand new life. That is, given a new root operating system whereby we just like, God's mercy has so changed me. I have to show mercy to other people. It doesn't matter what color they are. doesn't matter what job they have or don't have. doesn't matter where they live or how they live, whether they dress the way we do or whether they don't dress the way we do, whether they talk like us or they don't talk like us. Listen, I will say it just for me. I was in such great need that God reached out to me in Jesus Christ. Christ, and it would be absolutely ridiculous for me to think that there is someone that I will not minister to and show compassion. Should always be looking 
for those people whom God wants to touch through our lives. But we blind ourselves when we begin to allow the old operating system to take control. So let's look at the second deal here as we continue through this little graph here. The old root operating system thinks they should be glad I'm here. They should be glad that I'm here. Notice with me in your Bibles at verses 7 through 11. And Jesus began speaking a parable to the invited guest when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will have an honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now this is wild. It's very important in Jewish culture to have a place of honor. And Jesus saw this firsthand. It's not that way with you and I today in the 21st century. I mean, if you were to come over to our house as our guests to eat with us, you wouldn't be looking around the room at everybody else there trying to figure out who was going to sit at what place at the table that was the place of honor. The place of honor in Jewish culture was the place to the right and to the left of the person who actually was throwing the party. So these people showed up, and remember, they're religious people. Y'all with me say yes? So whenever they showed up in this particular room, they began to look around and try to figure out who was the most religious. So they're thinking, okay, I'm more religious, I'm more holy than he is, I'm better than he is, so I'm just going to etch my way up to the very front. These people in this house ought to just be glad that I'm here, and I'm going to sit down right here. But what Jesus says is, you and I should sit in the lowest places possible. You don't want to try and promote yourself. You don't want to put yourself up in an exalted position and the host be like, excuse me, but that is not your seat. And the bottom line is that this mentality is extremely common in our culture today. It's extremely common as well in our old root system. You know, it can happen on a church staff where the church staff starts getting a big head for what's going on. And somebody on the church staff is like, well, they better be glad I'm here. If I weren't here, this wouldn't be going down. It could happen in a ministry team in the church where somebody internally thinks, they better be glad I'm on this team. If I weren't on this team, nothing would get done. It could happen in a Sunday school class. It'd be like, I'm the most religious person in this place. If I weren't here, this whole class would fall off the deep end. You know, you could have this attitude in your home as well. You can have this attitude in your workplace where you walk into work with a prideful heart and your head held high thinking to yourself, these people ought to just be glad that I'm here. If I weren't here, it would all go to pot. Now, these kinds of prideful thought patterns are from the old operating system of our lives. Our old operating system always tries to get us thinking that we are much more important than we really are. So that's the old operating system. It thinks they should be glad that I'm here. But here goes the contrast as we look to this new operating system. Take a look at this little point here. This is awesome. God knows my heart. I better not act like a big shot. God knows my heart, so I better not try and act like a big shot. Look in your Bible at verse 11. Y'all got it there? Say yes. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Now, the word exalt means to promote or draw attention to yourself. And the word humbled means to level off or to make one's self low in status. So check it like this. Whoever promotes or draws attention to themselves will be leveled off and brought low. But whoever levels themselves off and makes themselves low, they will be promoted by God. Now, one of the main reasons that neither of us can walk around and act like we got it going on is because we know that God knows the real us. God knows what we struggle with, and God knows where we have come from. Therefore, that being the case, if we do not want to be humble before men, we must remain humble before God. So whenever you come into the context even of a fellowship, you should never come in thinking that you are the most spiritual. Never come in thinking that you are the person who should be honored and pushing yourself out in front. Listen, bottom line is this. If every person in here could see your heart and my heart the way God sees it, we would all be on our faces. There's ultimate humility when we realize that God knows our hearts so we should never try and act like big shots. So let me give you the third contrast and the last one here. But we look at this old root operating system and the third one says like this, I will do it, but you owe me. I'll do it, but you owe me. Look at verses 12 through 15 in your Bible. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." Now, you see here, the old way of living and thinking was always to size other people up. So people are like, well, if I invite them over, how will they return the favor? Can they return the favor? The old operating system does things for others with selfish motives. They show hospitality for those who can show hospitality back to them. So you might choose to do something. Maybe it's even in ministry. You choose to do something nice. And you, maybe even you try to do it with a little compassion, but you follow it up with, you owe me. Now you owe me something. You ever heard that before? And this is typically how people feel. They might even do some act of great ministry for your family or you individually, but then hold it over your head in the future to manipulate you. And if you express this attitude in marriage, it is selfishness. Could you imagine? And this does happen, but could you imagine if you, as a husband, thought to yourself, I'm going to do this for my wife, but then she's going to owe me big time. It's a selfish attitude. Or if you go to work and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go the extra mile for this guy. I'm going to go the extra mile for this gal, and I'm going to do this. And then in the future, they're going to owe me big time. And you know, this is a, a difficult thing uh, to even consider this morning as you think about doing ministry or serving other people with the attitude of they owe me now. You know, it's uh, difficult for Krista and I, because y'all, Krista's my wife. Y'all listening, yeah? So Krista, my wife, and I, we have the opportunity to make friends in the community. And some of them uh, don't go to uh, Concord. They may go somewhere else. But I know coming into a new friendship that those people may be thinking, I want to hang out with them just so they'll come to Concord. And so there's this idea, if I'm not careful, too, that I will be led to think I'm going to hang out with these people so that they eventually will owe me, and then they'll come to church. 
That is all backwards. And plus, most of the people that I get to know, they end up going to another church. And after I get to know them for a little while, it's like, I don't want you to come to our church. Y'all all right? That was a joke. But it's uh, very easy to have this you owe me uh, kind of attitude or they'll, they'll pay it back. They'll, they'll pay it back. That's one reason why we as a staff do not have permission, nor will we have permission, uh, to look at what people give here at the church. So we don't know what you give. Uh, matter of fact, if we did, uh, I'm afraid that our motivation would be like, we better serve them more because they give more. Or, hey man, did you see so-and-so? He came to church. He's got some big bucks, man. You ought to go over there and do some extra ministry for him. He'll owe us. And we don't have that attitude. We don't need that attitude. That attitude is ungodly. Listening to one pastor talk to another pastor on one occasion, which just about uh, made me uh, very angry. Well, I did. I got mad. Y'all all right? I didn't want to tell you a lie. I got angry at it. And uh, this guy was talking to a young pastor, and he said, oh, where are you pastoring? He figured out where his pastor was. Like, I've driven around there, man. There's a lot of big houses around there. You ought to go to those big houses. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be knocking on the door of those big homes, man. I'd be getting those rich people to church. And then when they gave, man, you could do all kinds of ministry. That's a sorry joker. Y'all all right? What kind of attitude is that? Go out there looking for people who've got deep pockets. Uh, from what I understand, uh, God can take very little and do a whole lot. So it's not like we've got to go find people with deep pockets. We just need to keep our face before God. He'll make sure to do the multiplying. But you've got to be very careful. And you've got to be careful. Are y'all listening? Look here. Look, look at the preacher for a moment. People in this room need ministry. Uh, people in this new room need prayer. They need compassion. They need somebody to encourage them. But you can't have the attitude in that context saying, I'm going to go do this, but when I do it, they're going to owe me. They're going to owe me. They're going to owe me. We've got to get rid of that. That's the old operating system. That is a virus, all right, on the new operating system. We've got to get rid of that attitude. So how should we respond? Here's the contrast. The new operating system thinks this way. God unconditionally loves me, so I must unconditionally love other people. You know, Jesus encourages us to minister. Jesus encourages us to minister to those who we know can't even pay us back. So he's like, when you do this, then you will be rewarded at the resurrection. So think about it like this. If we do compassionate ministry, we serve other people, we show the hands and feet of Christ to those around us. Listen, whenever we do that, if we're doing it to get a payback from that individual, then we miss payback from God. But whenever we do it out of an unconditional love for those people, it's like no conditions on this man. I'm just going to serve you out of love. God takes note of that and he rewards you in eternity. And that's the thing. God this morning is looking at us. God is witnessing our worship. God is witnessing our fellowship. He's, uh, if I can give you the imagery, looking forward for somebody to do some acts of unselfish, unconditional love towards people in the body because he wants to reward you, man. He desires to. One commentator uh, noted inviting, and that's why he's talking about inviting these outcasts. He's like, you throw a party, invite people who can't pay you back, and then God will reward you. They serve for God's glory. And one commentator says it like this, inviting the outcast would not make the man righteous. It would testify that he was a righteous man standing before God. Now, in conclusion this morning, and this is going to be a long conclusion, but y'all just stick with me. But uh, it's interesting. This week, I didn't really even realize I was doing this until I was almost towards the end of the message. 
but I had actually, I typed out the messages. So I'd actually typed out the entire message on a brand new operating system that I'd never used before. It wasn't Windows, nor was it Mac. Uh, it's a new operating system called Google Chrome. Can I get a witness on that? I didn't think so. Oh, three of you. God bless you. Anyway, so I'm using this. Now, this is the wild thing. There's a word processor in Google Chrome, and I'm typing away, but it looks different than Microsoft Word, which I'm used to. But all of a sudden, I began to get used to living in the context of that new operating system. And the more that I got used to it, the more I uh, used it, the more I forgot about Microsoft Word and just simply started using that operating system. So here's the deal. When you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you get a brand new operating system. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. You now think differently. You walk differently. But this old operating system is always trying to get you to come back. Come back over here. Act like this. These people don't care about you. These people that could care less. These people put you down. They're always trying to get you to elevate yourself. You're the best one. You're the smartest one. You're the brightest one. You're the best at work. Y'all out there, am I talking to myself? Always doing this. But as you and I learn to live, listen, under the influence and inspiration of this new operating system, just like Microsoft Word, the more we start forgetting about this old operating system. Now, it's wild, all right? Because here's the deal. And this passage came to me in the first service. But uh, here's what... Uh, the Hebrew author said in Hebrews chapter 12, so y'all listen. The Bible says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, that's the old operating system, lay aside every encumbrance, lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. That sin is like viruses on the new operating system. Lay that stuff aside, get rid of it, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and having sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did y'all hear this, by the way? Where did he sit down? The right hand. You know what that is? The place of honor. <laughs> and just letting you know, in Philippians 2, the Bible says that he humbled himself, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a bondservant to all. And listen to this. And he who humbled himself was exalted by God the Father and given a name which is above every single name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would kiss, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So in his humility, God raised him up. Are y'all out there? Because it gets even awesomer. When you read the book of Revelation, which I'll be preaching a little bit on in Wednesday nights here in the future. Matter of fact, next Wednesday night. But the Bible says that whenever we do not live lukewarm lives, ultimately we will be rewarded. And check this out. And we will sit down. Are y'all listening to the preacher say yes? We will sit down on the throne of the Lord. It is amazing uh, what God is doing in our lives as disciples that we, if we're not careful, become so blinded to because we get 
become legalistic, prideful, selfish, unloving, and it just blinds our eyes to what God is doing. But when we humble ourselves and we serve unconditional, uh, we can serve with uh, unselfish motives and we look to show compassion and prayer to other people, look to encourage other people, look to come alongside them and push them along and minister to them. When we do this in humility, not trying to get paybacks, God pays us back and ultimately will allow us to sit down with his son on the throne. Those who humble themselves, God exalts. God exalts you. That was pretty good preaching. Listen closely though. Here's the deal. You got this old operating system, this new operating system, always warring against each other. All right, Always this battle between the two. And we have to resist, resist, turn from that sin, turn from that old uh, way of thinking and living. And in doing so, we've got to do so, listen, we've got to do so with some fervor, all right? We've got to do so with some passion. And I love uh, what this text says. Here's what this text says in Hebrews 12 and 4. Listen to this. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Here's what he's doing. He's showing us another contrast. He said, I want you to think for just a moment about Jesus who lived upon this earth. He resisted sin. And this is the picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. He resisted sin to the point. Remember, uh, the enemy's enticing him. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. And Jesus in prayer on his face before God is saying, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, may it be. Nevertheless, not my will done, but yours be done. And he says in his prayer, and the Bible teaches that while he was praying, he's resisting. And with such resistance, he begins to sweat drops of blood on the ground. And so the idea here is, you ain't resisted that much. I've not resisted that much. And yet we have this dueling concept in our hearts. Which one is operating you? Let's bow together. Father, uh, speak to hearts now.